0: episode of "We Only Look Thin." I am Catherine Weigel, and I have lost about 145 pounds. I'm one of your wow. hosts, and with me today is Donald
1: Weigel. And I am uh, compulsed to sit here next to my wife, or <laughs> something. I don't know. Is that That's sitting on a blender. Compulsed? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. That's definitely not a word. You
0: know, language evolves. Yeah. So I think "compulsed" is a new.
1: Yeah, thing. I'm petitioning the dictionary to <laughs> put that in so that I don't sound like
0: frap compulsed. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Collab.
0: <laughs> oh, no, thank
1: you. <laughs> collab is the worst. We don't have
0: time for collaboration. No, gonna we stop. definitely We're don't. We're going to collab and listen. Yeah.
1: Anyway, welcome to We Only Look Thin. Uh, I am Donald Weigel once again, and I have lost a little over 100 pounds, and we are going to tell you about it. You know
0: what's interesting? We actually, uh, a new listener uh, posted on Instagram, the IG, to the save I-G. time. To save time, I'm yeah, going to call it IG. Yeah, because it takes so
1: much work to say Instagram.
0: Igram is yeah. what I call it to save time. <laughs> <laughs> it um, saves so much time. Since she just started listening, she was on episode one, and that was two and a half years ago you I lost know. 100 pounds it's and have been keeping crazy. it off. There is a likelihood that there is some regain, but you have not fallen into that trap.
1: Yeah. You no, not so comp- far. You are
0: compulsively inspirational.
1: Thank you, and so are you.
0: So speaking of listeners, we received an email.
1: We sure did. Which is short
0: for electronic mail.
1: Did you know, I didn't realize this, did you know that electronic mail can travel across the Atlantic Ocean?
0: What? Like the spruce goose? This listener, exactly, like the spruce
1: goose. (laughs) This listener is from the United Kingdom. Whoa. Yeah.
0: I've heard of them. I have
1: heard of them as well. They used to have an empire that uh, ruled the whole world. Must
0: be nice. Never set. Just like my food habits, never set. Uh, with the sun, neither did their empire. (laughs) Exactly,
1: exactly. Um, and, uh, the, the email came from Hannah.
0: Let's call her Hannah.
1: Yeah, and, uh, Hannah says, um, first off, I wanted to say thanks for your fantastic podcast. Well, thank you, Hannah. You're welcome. You obviously have incredible taste.
0: Wonderful taste.
1: Wonderful, wonderful taste. Um, I discovered it a couple of months ago and have been listening regularly ever since. Well, you two listeners should be like Hannah and listen to the podcast regularly. They're literally <laughs> listening to it right now. But I don't know if they're Why listening you pod regularly. to them. <laughs> I don't know if they're listening regularly. They might just listen. This might be the only time. As a UK listener, I don't always understand your references. I've never seen Gilligan's Island, and I'm hazy on what half and half is and why you're putting it in coffee. (laughs) So,
0: (laughs) um, which we used to think, until Hannah's email, that the US was the center of the universe, that all things American translated everywhere else never occurred to me you didn't get uh, I know, and I went to the
1: interweb, and I googled it, and it turns out they do not have half and half in the UK. Which is
0: crazy. We have... Been to the UK, and I yeah. guess I just didn't really think about half and half and half is uh, is half cream, half milk. You put it in your coffee; it's a little less decadent than whole cream, yeah. uh, but uh, but it's delicious. You put it in, yeah. Your coffee, and I've but just, I didn't know.
1: I've just grown up with Gilligan's Island and half and half uh, just being that, you those know, are our everywhere. two basic things, things that those are the things you're that,
0: American. That's what you have.
1: And for a second, I was like USA, everybody, because we have half and half in Gilligan's Island. <laughs> And then I remembered that in the UK, they have peanut butter Kit Kats. (laughs) Oh, there we go. And realized that they win. They definitely win. Well,
0: I think it is important for us to recognize our... Um the responsibility we have to make other people's cultures part of our yeah. things. Like I mean, I forget to talk about faulty towers. Like right. we love faulty towers. It's we true. love Monty Python, the yeah. young ones. Right. Um, but I also think that we need to talk about maybe shows that our American listeners don't know about, but maybe they can add into their vernacular, like yeah. The Vicar of Pibley. Oh you know, it's basically the UK version of Gilligan's Island. Yeah. Pibley gets, gets stuck on an island with a bunch of other...
1: <laughs> They're on a three-hour tour with a vicar for some for reason. For some reason. And get stuck on an island. Exactly. Yeah.
0: exactly. Uh, there's EastEnders, we've heard of EastEnders, EastEnders Nobody yeah. knows what it's about Yeah, But it's 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 part of their thing uh,
1: I, I, I actually used to watch EastEnders On PBS, oh, like, did? a long time ago I watched it, like, sort of Religiously for, like, a year And then for some reason stopped
0: Well, we need to talk about it more on the podcast yeah. What about the Toast of London? Actually, the, uh, the guy from What We Do in the Shadows Is the star of that show
1: Oh, I, you know, somebody recommended that to me Recently, because I was talking about how much I like What We Do in the Shadows, and I assume it's a show about them making toast in london yes. and putting jam they call or, it crisps yeah crisps no, and they <laughs> no no it's not and then they is it jam do they say jam there or is it jelly or Marmite? something else Marmite? I, don't yeah, I, don't you know. Know. I don't know let us know i don't remember
0: there's the bottle boys good old bottle boys uh, Who yeah. doesn't love the bottle boys uh, there's also a show called porridge
1: there, really? There
0: is. Oh. It's just straightforward. It's just porridge. So
1: the toast of London and porridge come on right one porridge after another. It is is
0: the UK version of our podcast called Cereal.
1: Oh. You know that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but something interesting you might not actually know for everyone, is that uh, a British television show was actually the impetus for the name We Only Look Thin. Did you know that? I know Donald knows that. I do but know that. Hannah, here is the story. Uh, we were trying to come up with names for the podcast, something clever, easy to spell, because I am not a speller. Too many letters, and I get yeah. very confused. Yeah. Uh, easy, easy to say. You're not
1: a speller yet. Yet. You have to tell yourself Y-E-T. that you can be a good speller.
0: But my nerd husband uh loves
1: nerd Doc- this is an
0: outrage oh no
1: i'm totally a nerd
0: uh he loves doctor who yeah loves doctor who i do and- i've been
1: watching it since i was like 10 years old
0: yeah and when you're coming up with a name for a podcast hannah when you come up with your podcast name think about things that are inspiring to you and what was inspiring to me was the tardis yeah yeah uh, It is known to be small on the outside, huge on the inside. It's
1: bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. And
0: that is literally where we came up with the name We Only Look Thin, because I look like a TARDIS, but on the inside, I am very big. We came
1: kind of close to calling the show Bigger on the Inside.
0: Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but we ended up with We Only Look Thin. We Only Look
1: Thin, but, which was my genius wife's uh, uh, inspiration, yeah, and I uh, am, I'm very happy that uh, that it happened.
0: I am Doctor Who, and my companion is all the food I yes. think about. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I travel forward in time with it. I travel back in time with it. I take it with me everywhere I go.
0: Yeah, so, uh, and also, let's see, what else do I know about Britain? I know that Downton I, Abbey. Downton Abbey. No, that, well, yeah, I guess that, that's British. It happened there, right? What do you mean? It's Yes, of course
1: it's British. But I always <laughs>
0: heard that like the band Bush was popular in America, but not in Britain, even though yeah. they're from there. So many differences between us, but so many similarities, too, including compulsive eating. Oh, yeah. That is why we're here today. Oh, yeah, Don't- yeah.
1: I know that uh, you all tuned in to hear about us talk about British references, but uh, let's get down to the actual question that Hannah (laughs) asks us. Um, She says, I wondered if I could ask you a question. Yes. Yes (laughs) Yes is the answer. You can. Um, I sometimes struggle with compulsive eating, so I found your episodes on binge eating very helpful. I've made a number of changes which... Uh, have definitely helped, but I still occasionally get stuck seemingly out of the blue by the urge to eat when not hungry, which seems to overwhelm all of my strategies and constructive self-talk. Do you guys have any rescue strategies you employ in the moment when you're gripped by the demon, so to speak? And, I can tell you that even now, this still happens to me from time to time, uh, regardless of all of my strategies. And uh, we are going to talk about uh, some ways that we combat it, some ways that we try and keep it from happening in the first place, and uh, some uh, some rescue strategies. And actually, when we were discussing this episode, we realized that we had so much to say that we are going to break this into two parts. So this will be part one, and uh, then next week, we will release part two.
0: Yeah, and consider it sort of a Christmas special. Like, I think a lot of British shows do that. They have like the the, the oh, yeah, Christmas the, special exactly. episode of Downton Abbey or the British Bake Off. Um, but we definitely still deal with this. And I think in the past, I used to think about being fixed or being, you know, having bulimia be in the past or compulsive eating be in the past. And what I've learned is it's not necessarily about complete cessation of – an eating disorder, it's about reducing the frequency. And reducing the um, the intensity of an experience. So we, like Donald said, we still have to deal with our compulsive eating issues, and it's something that I actually really deal with. So Donald's going to break down the difference between emotional compulsive and binge eating because there is a difference. Um, if you're not sure what compulsive eating is, Donald's going to tell you about it.
1: I sure am, and you know they oftentimes get confused, and the terms get used interchangeably, but. Binge eating is typically defined as the consumption of large quantities of food in a short period of time, typically as part of an eating disorder. And so you're eating a lot very quickly. It's, it's essentially, to simplify it, overeating and you're eating, you know, to that sort of point of thanksgiving fullness. Uh, oh, dang it. They don't that's have not a, they don't have that in the UK and I used it. Uh,
0: Guy Fawkes Day? Do they is that I somewhere they I don't know if they, they eat a
1: lot eat? on Guy like, Fawkes. We eat a lot of not? food yeah. in
0: England. Let us know when I just it is. know they
1: have very cool Guy Fawkes masks, that's all.
0: But it's about physical discomfort, loss of control, often embarrassment and secrecy is uh, is tied up in binge eating
1: yeah and then emotional eating um emotional eating is another term that is frequently used but is not an eating disorder diagnosis so it's not it's not typically considered its own eating disorder it is part of a larger eating disorder It refers to instances when a person turns to food for comfort rather than hunger. In most cases of emotional eating, the person is under some form of stress. Emotional eating can also refer to times when a person uses food as a reward, sort of after a hard day's work or when they feel lonely or depressed. So you don't have to overeat you don't have to be binge eating or compulsive eating to be emotional eating but you can be emotional eating and it can trigger a binge or you know lead to compulsive eating they they are sort of all tied together
0: right so emotional eating i mean and we joke it's like well every emotion makes me want to eat yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, boobazella but, but emotion um, is caused by a thought that we have about something. So we get an email or a phone call or we're in a difficult situation and we want to avoid that discomfort. And we do that by eating instead of dealing with the stress. It can also be positive. Like Donald said, we're celebrating, we're depressed, whatever it is, uh, any of the seven dwarves of emotion, we decide <laughs> we're going to eat, but it's, de- it's, it's usually tied to a thought. Um, but then there's compulsive eating.
1: And compulsive eating is is basically what Hannah described. It is typically used to describe frequent episodes of uncontrollable eating. Uh, people who engage in compulsive eating usually feel out of control and are aware that their eating patterns are abnormal. And as uh, Hannah described it, being gripped by the demon. And I have definitely been there. And even fairly recently, I have been there and... I'm going to talk about this more as we go along, but I I wanted to point out even though Catherine and I have reached our goal weights and we say this all the time, we are not fixed. Like we still have all of these things in us. We have just engaged in coping mechanisms and right. strategies that help us get through it and help us maintain our goal weights, um, even despite having binge episodes and and compulsive eating episodes and emotional eating. You know, it all still happens to us.
0: Right. And um, just to tie up the compulsive eating as being different from binge eating, compulsive eating can start with hunger. It can start with, oh, gosh, I, we're going out to dinner. I'm ready to eat. And you promise yourself you're only going to eat half a portion. And then you eat all the portion and more and more and more. And it's that inability to stop yourself from a volume of food. Um, there was an article I found uh, in The thefix.com by Anna Joliffe. Uh, And the title was On Moderation and Other Fantasies. Um, (laughs) She said it's that desire for-
1: I'll link to that article in the show notes too, by the way.
0: She said it's that desire for chronic fullness- which is different than emotional eating. It's that filling that hole, that f- that desire for fullness. You can't stop eating once you start eating. And it's not necessarily like I thought binge eating was like you sit down with a sheet cake and a bucket of ice cream. And I was like, well, I don't do that. I don't have an eating disorder. Yeah. But once you get me, you know, if I make a pound of pasta – I'm going to eat all that pasta. And I don't go into it intending to do so, but it's that compulsive need to just keep eating and keep eating.
1: Exactly. And uh, I think this is a good time to remind people that even though Catherine and I have gotten our binge eating, emotional eating, compulsive eating basically under control, I did just mention we still have issues with all of those things, um, but we did it on our own. There are definitely people out there who have uh, even more serious uh, issues with it than we do. And those people, and that may be you need to seek professional help. There are counselors out there. There are medical doctors. There are dieticians, medical professionals, even psychiatrists who are trained to deal with this kind of thing. And, It may just be that you have to reach out to a professional and listening to our podcast and following our advice isn't going to be enough. But... This, these are the things that have worked for us, and these are the suggestions that we employ in our daily lives to make it work for us,
0: yeah. And I think for me in particular, the reason I didn't need to go to a professional uh, for assistance is because I steeped myself like delicious English breakfast tea, Ah. Uh, they just call it here breakfast tea (laughs) uh, in England, um, but. I listened to podcasts, read books, joined support communities. I engrossed myself in – Health culture for th- you know three years in losing weight and then starting my own podcast. So it is something that Donald and I talk about all the time. We're transparent about it. There are no secrets. And I think for me that is why I didn't need to go to a professional. I like outer accountability and sharing experiences. Yeah, which is why we have this podcast. Exactly. Um, but we're going to go through, like Donald said, uh, half of a list of ideas that we have to help curb those compulsive eating habits.
1: Yeah. So Catherine uh, in. Immersed herself in the health culture, and I immersed myself in Catherine culture.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Luckily, he knows that I like to talk, so he lets me do that.
1: I I did, I did. Um, So the the first thing that I like to, uh, and we will talk about rescue strategies, uh, getting directly to Hannah's question. But the first thing that I like to recommend is uh, trying to avoid overly restrictive diets. I am not a fan of... Uh, diets that cut out entire categories of food, and there are people out there who you know who love keto, who love paleo, who love you know all of those diets that that tell you not to eat entire you know eat sugar or carbohydrates or whatever it is that you're having to cut out entirely. And there are people for whom those diets work, but if you have an issue with binge eating, like I do, or compulsive eating, like I do. I always found that I could stick to those diets for a certain period of time, and then they would always lead to an insane bounce back binge right. period. And it wouldn't just be a binge on a night, it would be like a week, two weeks, a month. And then I would just be out of control for this long period of time because I just had to have whatever the the sugar, the, the carbs, whatever I had cut out entirely eventually came roaring back on me.
0: Well, and I think that is generally because, and if you do experience binge or compulsive eating, that it might be the diet is seen as a punishment against your bad behavior. So when you're going to those extremes, the desire to ricochet back or to revenge eat and, you know, as a reaction to that under eating or that super restricted might be an issue.
1: Yeah. And so what has worked for both of us is counting calories, but not really, you know, not really cutting out any particular category of food. Um, I allow myself to eat you know, basically whatever I want, as long as it's within the calories. Now, there are definitely things that I avoid because they're not worth the calories to me. But I I feel like I'm choosing to do that rather than being some rule where I can't do it.
0: Right. So tying into the compulsive eating, one really big insight for me was employing these three strikes rule, which is sort of if I have a food around me and for you know three separate occasions wait
1: three strikes is baseball which they also don't have in the uk oh, what? what the the three googlies rule from uh, <laughs> sure. from uh, cricket sure should we use
0: so uh the three strikes rule is if i continually sabotage myself with a treat i stop bringing it home so this could be something that's a controlled portion it could be something that you know i buy for our daughter or something like that where i go oh well it's a you know small you know three pack of of tiny tiramisu's that are only 200 calories each, Like that's not a big deal. That'll be fine. Yeah. If I buy that and then eat all three of them because I just keep eating compulsively, if I do that over and over again, there gets to be a point where I say, I obviously cannot control myself around this in the house. It might not present itself as a danger food, but once it does it three times, I see a pattern of behavior. And I stopped buying it. I stopped bringing it home.
1: Yeah, definitely. And that leads to uh, something that we learned years and years ago from Weight Watchers, which is don't bring the devil home with you. And I know I just said I don't like overly restrictive diets and cutting out categories of food, but there may be foods you just cannot control yourself around. and you have to not buy them. You know, there's there's always this this idea of I'm going to test my resolve. I'm going to test Ugh. my resolve and I'm going to bring home that giant bag of whatever it is that triggers you. And and then before you know it, you're at the bottom of that bag and you're like, what happened? Like, I don't, you know, yeah. sometimes I, w- I would get just overwhelmed and not even, it was almost like it wasn't me doing it. I was like outside my own body doing it. And I think that, there was this part of me that really wanted to eat that whole bag of whatever, and so I would trick myself by saying I was going to test my resolve and test my resolve, but just don't do it. Don't bring those foods home.
0: Well, and in this time of COVID, too, there are so many people who have sourdough starters and oh my God. bananas. <laughs> I see that one are more going... post about
1: sourdough starters. <laughs>
0: Uh, don't get me started on starter people making banana bread. Like, Oh, well I'm at home and I'll be able to portion it out throughout the week. Like once you start saying that to yourself, that devil, I do not make a dozen cookies. Yeah. You know, I don't make a big batch of things. I don't bring home sheet cakes. I don't buy a big tray of lasagna to eat or, you know, like, Oh, I'll make 40 portions of, of curry. Like, Oh, that sounds great. I'll be able, I can't do that. So bringing the devil home, whatever that devil is, If it is trouble in your house, don't invite it. It's like a vampire. Once you invite it, it will suck out all your blood.
1: Yeah, and just also know that these things can change. And I'm not saying that I'm typical of everyone, but there was a time when I would not bring Coca-Cola home because I knew I had a serious issue with drinking it and I couldn't just have one. And now... I, I keep a few bottles in the house, uh, all the time and I rarely even go for it. You know, it's, it's like because I, because I've learned I don't really want to drink my calories. So I have, I have learned to moderate that particular thing, but there was a time where one Coca Cola would lead to six and I couldn't control myself. So it can change over time, but use Catherine's three strikes rule. And (laughs) if, if you have the three strikes, make it, put it on the do not bring home list.
0: Right, the googly. (laughs) The googly, exactly. So that sort of ties into uh, my idea that the package size is the portion. If I buy a family size package of something, there is a very good chance I will eat it. If I buy, you know, a dozen of something or a tray of whatever, that, that is the portion for me. So for Donald and I, portion control means limiting the portion size whether that's buying individual servings it might not be great for the environment but it is good for my ability to stop eating so if i buy a family size bag of crisps yeah oh crisps crisps.
1: yeah
0: um I'm going to eat them, but if I buy something like at the at the checkout stand at the store, there might be a smaller bag, quote unquote. But if you look at the back, it still says four servings for 800 calories. Yeah, go smaller than that and get the lunchbox size portion, which is 160 calories. Like I will eat whatever size I'm presented with. So presenting yourself with a the smallest size possible can matter.
1: Yeah, and I do that um, with uh, with. Chips, which uh, in the UK they call crisps, as Catherine just said. We call them chips here. Chips are French fries there. It's all very confusing. Oh,
0: all of it. Portion um, control.
1: But, like, chips typically come in, you know, ginormous, like, party size bags and then sort of semi-smaller all the way down and then there are like these two or three ounce bags that are you think are a single serving and then you look and it's and they're like 400 calories and then you can get the one ounce bags which are uh which are only 150 calories typically and I for whatever reason I know it's psychological and it's a trick but just like Catherine said, the portion is the size. If I open a family size bag, I'm going to eat a family size bag. But if I open a one ounce bag, I'm going to eat that. And, and it, Feels satisfying to me that I've eaten an entire bag of chips, even though it's only 150 calories.
0: Right. So, this can go for cereal, uh, you know, buying a giant bag or buying a small cup or a little individual container. This can go for guacamole, anything that is a trigger food, nuts, peanut butters that are, you know, served in little two tablespoon containers, because that Inability as a compulsive eater to just go, like, well, it's uneven on that side. Let me just have one more piece, one more piece, one more piece. I still do that. And it's just about training your brain to reassess. The portion size, it's, I think it's really important.
1: And an ancillary rule to this is don't eat directly out of containers. Like if you know that something is a bigger portion than you want to eat, portion it out into something smaller before you even start eating it. If you take a tub of some sort of dip and you start eating right out of that tub, like you're going to finish that tub, or at least I would finish that tub for sure. So don't eat directly out of containers is a good rule of thumb to follow. All right, the next rule of thumb to prevent a compulsive eating episode is to don't let yourself get super hungry. I used to make this mistake all the time. I would I would abstain from eating and abstain from eating until I just got ravenous and then, you know, the demon as she says as Hannah said would take over and I would just want to pile food into my face. So, I've made it a rule in my life now to eat frequently um eat lots of protein and um and what we like to say is to pop up, pop the, up volume, the volume uh which is to eat a lot of very low calorie foods or to add very low calorie foods lots of fresh vegetables things like salsa um uh, that are uh, that really fill you up without being very high calorie and eat that throughout the day so that you never get to that point where you're just starving.
0: Well, and I like that feeling of fullness, which is part of that compulsive eating. It's like it takes so long for your brain and your stomach to catch up. That's a, that feeling of satiety, easy for me to say, um, <laughs> that feeling of satiety. So if you want to have some ice cream, like Donald said, take the scoop, put the container away, and then pile on half a pound of strawberries or blueberries or, you know, melon or something like that because you get that volume of food and it takes you a while to eat it, which lets your stomach then catch up to your fullness sensation. So it's all about that maintaining fullness so that you don't have to compulsively eat higher calorie foods
1: yeah and and i wanted to talk about this during one of our later points but you know something i have learned is that i actually time when i eat every day which sounds super nerdlinger and is you know a lot of people are probably rolling their eyes but I eat a I eat like you know 200 calories at two o'clock and then another 150 at three and another 150 at four and you know roughly all the way through for basically the rest of the day and that way I all, I never have more than an hour in between, certain foods so that I don't allow myself to get to that point where I'm just stuffing things into my face.
0: Right. That is so huge. And it's something I've tried to start employing. Even after all this time, uh, I was sort of against it because I don't need rules, man. Yeah, but man. They actually- <laughs> I don't let the
1: clock tell me what to do.
0: Yeah. Um, so I, I have started doing this a little bit, not as strictly as Donald's, but having- Knowing what's in front of you can help you control your patterns, because if you know in 20 minutes you're going to eat something, it can get rid of that panic you feel about needing to eat right now. So the next big one for me, which was a huge change in my mindset, was none of this is about willpower. It's about making it easy To make the right choice. And part of that is about keeping treats and triggers out of sight. If I have a treat on the counter, it is going to remind me to eat the treat the other day. And this is where compulsive eating comes in. For sure. Binge eating can be premeditated, I think. Yeah. Compulsive eating is sort of triggered by just like, oh, I could do that right now, for example. And here we go with an example. (laughs) Um, (laughs) On top of the refrigerator, I keep these packages of treats called meringues. And they're 30 calories each. What's the big deal? It's a low-cal. That's not a big deal, right? Yeah. Uh, But I was putting something away the other day and not thinking about food at all. And I put it away and I looked up and there was a lonely meringue sitting in a box with just one left. And I was—I thought to myself, oh, well, I'll just eat that. Like, yeah, it's you can't only, let
1: that sit there by itself. That's no. Yeah, it's so lonely. <laughs> but
0: it's that keeping it in my eyesight, in my eyeline, I would never have thought about it if I didn't see it. We do a really good job of hiding our treats, putting them in closets up high, keeping them out of their packaging in opaque containers because the more you see something the more you're triggered to have it like going past the candy dish you know at a reception desk. Yeah. We keep them in opaque containers in closets so that they're not at eye line. They're not sitting on the counter waiting for us reminding us to eat.
1: And I keep the healthy things in easy reach yeah. and I do, this may sound like I'm the laziest person in the world, but I try and reduce all of the barriers to eating, you know, choosing to eat apples, for example. If, if there is a whole apple there, I'm like, I don't want to have to chew that. Oh, my
0: teeth are too bored. So, So
1: I buy the pre sliced apples and I put them in the refrigerator somewhere that is really easy to get to and grab in a clear container where I can see them and so that when I open the refrigerator, it's like, oh, there are apple slices there and I can eat... You know, I can eat a pretty good portion of apple slices for 50 calories, and and it satisfies me, and then I'm not digging. I, I you know, put my more treaty things somewhere where I have to dig and make a conscious decision to eat them and unscrew a container, and they're not in my eye line. and we make the healthy choice the easy, obvious choice, and the less healthy choice the more difficult, harder choice to make.
0: Yeah, I mean, that whole willpower thing, I listened to a podcast the other day. Listen to so many inspiring podcasts. I can't even remember what it's called. I think it was called the Happiness Lab. But they talked about studies that have actually been done about the distance of food and your likelihood to eat it. So they did a test where they had sliced apples in a bowl one foot away from a participant in the study. And they had hot buttered popcorn two feet away. Yeah. And in that study, the apple slices were eaten much more readily than the popcorn. They reversed it. And the apple slices were two feet away and the popcorn was one foot away.
1: Yeah, nobody's touching apple slices if they got to go an extra foot to get to them.
0: (laughs) But the thing is, whatever was in proximity was what people chose. So it really does matter having those healthier choices. And like if I'm going to compulsively eat – Compulsively eating apple slices in the end is going to be less damaging than compulsively eating hot buttered popcorn. And having that small barrier, because we're lazy folk, yeah. we want what's easy to us. It's not about the willpower. It's about making the, the more uh, positive habit easier to follow. So for us, our daughter will not eat an orange if it's just sitting in the refrigerator. Yeah, I pre-slice it. And sh- should I be pre-slicing orange slices for a 14-year-old? Probably, Probably not. Probably not. But no. she won't eat the orange if it's just sitting there where she has to actually use energy to chop it up herself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, Sad, but also, you know, it relates to me as a grown man at the same time. You know, if I have to, I don't buy a whole pineapple because I know that it will just sit there and I won't cut it. But if I buy pre cut pineapple, then I might eat that. It's the same thing with, with, uh, you know, we buy this pico de gallo, which is basically just like chopped up onions and, and tomato. And, you know, if I have that around, I'll use it to pump up the volume on things all the time. But if I had to actually, like, chop onions and tomato all the time, which, again, makes me sound like the laziest person in the world, maybe, but it is reducing those barriers to making the healthy choice that that we have found is is one of the keys to doing this and to not letting yourself get hungry and not triggering those binges or those compulsive eating episodes
0: well and i think ig which is short for igram or in- insta <laughs> <laughs> like g insta
1: g i like insta g
0: the the uh, influencers would have us believe that they're making jarred salads every day and that meal prep is consistent throughout your entire life and that every habit is followed despite the weather or, you know, stress changes. But realizing that there are times when I feel like making homemade soup or when I feel like, you know, um, doing a ton of meal prep. And then there are weeks where I can barely open the refrigerator and take out ham For sure. that is in the package if it isn't already done. Like My mood changes so frequently that I have to be okay with those times that I want to pre-prepare everything super duper. The times that I don't, it doesn't mean I'm broken forever and ever. It just means right now I need something really easy. So making it easy to make those healthier choices, keeping the healthier foods in front and keeping the more indulgent foods at the back where they're harder to get to, that little barrier does help. It's not willpower. It's creating an environment that meets your needs.
1: Yeah. And and the more I read about it, the more it feels like willpower is kind of this myth. Like there's yeah. only so much that somebody can take. And, you know, related to what Catherine was just saying, always having kind of a backup plan and have an emergency like frozen meal that, you know, I have had food emergencies where it was sort of like my choice was to just eat something that was 2000 calories. Or if I had prepared and had that, you know, 250, 300 calorie frozen meal in the freezer that I could just pop in the microwave and have ready in a few minutes, then I could have that option as well and not just go crazy and trigger myself into a compulsive eating episode. Totally. And then one thing that we do know is real is stress. And a strategy I have found that works very well is figuring out ways to reduce my stress. And it's difficult in this forum to go through a whole bunch of things, but, you know, meditation and exercise help me reduce my stress. Uh, Dealing with the things that are causing me stress like at work or in my personal life and really trying to just overall make myself calmer and happier tends to keep me from getting to a point where I'm using those emotions as an excuse to start eating.
0: Yeah, and I think it's that we come up with habitual behaviors. We tie going into the kitchen with starting to eat we make those choices and i work in my kitchen so i have had yeah. to come up with a lot of of uh ways to keep myself away from it we're gonna talk like i said we're doing a second episode with many many more uh, we still have a couple more to share here but we've got lots more specific examples for that you know but what the the demon that that yes. comes forth yes. to so reducing your stress and improving your boundaries around your choices really does make a difference. And speaking of boundaries, I have lots of rules around treats and trigger foods that have really helped me with that compulsive behavior. I do not eat trigger foods during the day. No, just that decision to not start matters. Because as soon as I say, oh, well, I'll just have morning you know, donuts, that'll be great. I know about myself that if when I start, I don't stop that compulsive behavior. So I save those triggers for nighttime. Some people eat pancakes for breakfast. They are not breakfast for me. They are dessert. And changing the name of it, I don't eat, I eat cereal, but I eat it for dessert, not for breakfast because crunchy pop sugar flake pops are not breakfast food. They are dessert foods for me.
1: No, don't, you don't want to get me started on how I think that 80 plus percent of foods that we consider breakfast foods are actually just an excuse to eat dessert uh, first thing in the morning. And for years and years, I did that. I would wake up, have a donut first thing in the morning, have a muffin, have a bagel, have, have. I'm probably triggering people with all this food talk. But, yeah, we you know, should have
0: started that off Yeah, with the trigger.
1: Your pancakes, your waffles, like your cereal, all of those things are just complete sugar yeah. and and starting my day that way where I'm just like, you know, on that sugar rush high, you know, eating a treat that early in the morning, then suddenly the rest of my day, that's all I want are treat, treat, treats. And those things tend not to fill me up either. You know, it's yeah. like I I eat I eat that and then an hour, two hours later, I want more food. And so eating starting off with protein and For me, I don't eat breakfast anymore. I eat later in the day, and that has been one of my rules to keep me from starting off the day binging.
0: Well, and also part of that rules around treats is that you know the food industry, and I'm not bashing the food industry because God bless them for all their GMOs and their their delicious hyper palatable (laughs) food. God bless them. Um, hyper palatable food like there are labs in which people actually try to figure out the perfect crunch sweet salt yeah mouthfeel all of that they do it on purpose to make it really appealing to eat an oreo instead of an apple there are like there is a science around it and i know that if i go for that hyper palatable food early it tends to lead me to compulsive eating
1: And I mentioned this earlier. Oh, sorry, dear. Didn't mean to cut you off. I mentioned this earlier, but, you know, I don't eat any treats till after dinner. Like, if I have something that tastes super treat-like, uh, chips, uh, you know, uh, Little mini candy bar, whatever it is, even if it's low calorie, if I eat it early in the day, that is a bad start and I generally can't stop. So one of my rules to put in place. So you have to figure out what your rules are. You have to really pay attention and observe yourself like a scientist and figure out, you know, what rules are going to work for me to keep me from getting to that point? What's going to stop triggering me from, from getting to this compulsive eating episode?
0: Yeah. And part of that rule is for me. I close the kitchen at 8 p.m. and there's no magical calorie barrier that I'm putting in place. And
1: she even announces it. She's like, "Okay, everyone, the kitchen is closed. The kitchen
0: is closed." <laughs> but I do that not because there's any magic about digestion or metabolism. I do it because I am never going for a crispy salad after 8 p.m. It's always, "Ooh, what do I feel like?" Like, yeah. oh, what's a? Oh, I'm just bit like, yeah, for and, sure." So it's not about the magical metabolism, tidying up, whatever. It's just I don't make choices that I'm proud of after 8 p.m. So putting whatever your time limit is, you know, depending on your eating cycle and going to sleep, we go to bed very early. We do. We're asleep right now. We're recording this from (laughs) our bed. But that closing the kitchen for me and having that ritual of I don't make good choices after 8 p.m. I know that about myself, so I don't eat after 8 p.m. We'll get into some exceptions uh, in in the next episode, but generally speaking, closing my kitchen, opening my kitchen at a certain time, and closing it it it's not about intermittent fasting. It's about you don't make good choices after eight o'clock at night. So when do yeah. you stop making good choices? What are your danger times? Is three o'clock when you meander into the office kitchen the bad time? Don't meander into the kitchen at three o'clock. Like know your own triggers. Know the times of the day that are. Rough for you and start creating new patterns around those.
1: Yeah. And I didn't realize that there were certain foods I was eating at certain times of day that were leading me to then have a bad day the rest of the day until I really started paying attention to what I was eating and when and how it was making me feel. And so it's all part of this process of figuring out what is going to work for you because you really have to work this into the rest of your life. It's not about going on a diet for a little while, it's about making making your life work to get to your goal weight and then keeping it that way for the rest of your life. And that's what Catherine and I are working on. And that's what we're trying to help you work on.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: All right, I think uh, that is going to wrap it up for this episode. We are going to continue this next week uh, with our uh, compulsive eating part two. Electric boogaloo. There is
0: <laughs> more compulsion.
1: We have much, your much way. more to say about this, and uh, we really appreciate you listening uh, to us. Uh, please tune in next week. Uh, lucky you! You have more. We only look thin to listen to. <laughs> you win. Um, and if you would like to listen to our other. Uh, 130 plus episodes, you can find them wherever you found this episode, or you can go to weonlylookthin.com. You can listen to all the episodes there, and you can also click on the join our support group link and find out more about that. Uh, It's called Walt Place, and it is for women.
0: It sure is. It is a great place for support and vulnerability and honesty, and uh, a lot of this compulsive eating stuff used to fill me with a lot of shame, and the more I've been able to talk about it the more i've understood other people's compulsions the less shame i feel around it and the more empowered i feel to make changes so it really does make a difference you can also find us on igram or instag <laughs> or instagram if you're if you've got lots of time to spare
1: or Fbook.
0: book <laughs> that doesn't sound as good
1: or face b face b
0: <laughs> none of that sounds very good
1: or or Twitter? I, I don't know how to shorten Twitter. <laughs> no,
0: you can't. Nobody yeah, can, can reduce that. It's but pretty short already. You can find us at We Only Look Thin on the old people uh, social platforms. We're not on the TikToks. We're not on the no. whatever
1: no, we don't have a YouTube channel because uh, who wants to look at us uh Oh, my gosh, that sounds
0: exhausting. I it really does. I can listen to us. Um, uh,
1: if you would like to help us out, though, we would really appreciate if you would go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a uh, rating and a review. Uh, it just has to be real quick, uh, but it really helps us out. Um, it'll boost us in searches when people are looking for health and fitness uh, episodes. It- and uh, Apple, uh, you know, the more ratings and reviews a show has, the more uh, easily they make it for people to find you.
0: Yeah, and it boosts our uh, compulsive desire to inspire others with our uh, inspirational words. So.
1: <laughs> it sure does, and that was very well said. Yeah,
0: I'm super good at talking about stuff. So
1: exactly so if you still don't know the difference between three strikes and a googly (laughs) just remember (laughs) that Catherine and i are an inspiration the information that you hear on this podcast is for informational purposes only the hosts are not medical professionals